Welcome to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners. This is the podcast that brings you inspiring people and their inspiring stories. How did they find their way to the top and how can their path help you do the same? Here's your host, network broadcaster, executive and entrepreneur, Craig Cam. Right now on this edition of Tracks to Success, You'll meet one of hockey's all-time greats whose goal has actually changed now that his Hall of Fame playing days are over. He played for five different teams, was captain on three of them, and won a Stanley Cup with one of them. Six times an NHL All-Star, he has a couple gold medals too, a highlight for a Canadian-born star who really left nothing unachieved. He made players better, he made coaches winners, He made cities fall in love. Well, most of them. But he hasn't skated off to the land of the unmotivated or uninvolved. Far from it. He's a senior advisor for an NHL team and an entrepreneur with his wife, running a travel business unique to those who need something uplifting and mind-altering. He's taken his best shot at bringing memories to people, not just vacations. So what's it like to have the weight of a city on your professional shoulders? How tough is it to hit the ice, hit others, and stay healthy so that a second career is actually an option? And what made him take the leap into entrepreneurship? His name is Chris Pronger. His inspiring story and this edition of Tracks to Success starts now. In 2017, he was named one of the 100 greatest hockey players in NHL history. It is a pleasure, Chris Pronger, to have you on Tracks to Success. Thanks so much for being a part of this. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No, this is fantastic. It's all my pleasure. I'm a hockey fan. It's great to have one of the greats on this program. I think your story, Chris, is compelling for many reasons, obviously, beyond winning a Stanley Cup or a gold medal or the great career that you had because of what you're doing now, which we're going to get into a little bit because there's a shift from hockey to being an entrepreneur, and I love that. But let's start with a kind of day in the life of Chris Pronger right now. Like, what does Chris Pronger do (laughs) on a day-to-day basis now that he doesn't uh, have hockey Uh, rinks to go to? uh, Let's see. uh... In or out of school, if we're in school, if the kids are in school, we're up probably at uh, 6.15, 6, 6.15, and then uh, start making my breakfast, making kids breakfast, have a cup of coffee, shake the cobwebs off, and then uh, get them off to school, go mix in a quick workout, and then uh, start my day making phone calls, answering emails, um, you know, really just trying to to keep continue to build our business and uh, you know make connections and contacts and talk to referrals and people that uh, that are interested in having conversations. Well, that's how this all got started for all of our listeners. Uh, a little LinkedIn between Craig Can and Chris <laughs> Pronger, which is pretty cool. Now you said shaking out the cobwebs. I think you've done that a time or two in your life based on a hockey career, which we're yeah. going to get to. So tell me this. What do you miss most? Is it the guys or is it the games? Um, I don't miss waking up sore. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm already sore right now, but really, really sore. Um, you know, I think everybody that, that plays a professional sport and, and at the highest level always miss the locker room, the camaraderie, all that stuff. Uh, I think really a lot of people that, that play at a high level miss the, the competitive nature and, and competition. Um, you know, a lot of times when you move on past your career and into a second, third, fourth career, you're searching for that competitive edge. You're searching for some form of competition because that's what drives us. That's, that's how we get to where we're at, uh, is that, that drive and competitive nature that we have. And, uh, uh, you know, this is no different uh, now than, than when I played, it's, it's really you wake up in the morning and, and try to be the best at what you do. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's a bit of an exhale though, a bit of a deep breath. And hockey is such a grueling sport. I, I never played it at any high level. I played it for fun when I was a kid growing up in the Midwest. But man, you took a stick to the eye. I know that greatly <laughs> affected you. Uh, you suffered three, at least that I know of, huge hits and uh, post-concussion syndrome, which is something that you had to deal with down the stretch of your career. And then there's the, ah, nothing too big, just cardiac arrest after a puck hits you in the chest. I mean, seriously. And that's that's not everything, I'm sure. And you're 6'6 and like 225. I don't know how anybody ever messed with you. How tough was that? Uh, you know, I think it was it was something that, I really kind of got used to it. You know, I played a physical style, physical brand of hockey, uh, you know, tried to keep my opponents on edge and, and played kind of an unpredictable style. And, you know, I might hit you one time. I might spear you. I might slash you. I might take the puck. You know, a lot of times I didn't know. <laughs> I would just kind of make it up on the fly. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, I always had that drive in me, mind over matter, you know, where you're like, I'm a hockey player you're hurt and it's like, well, I, I got to play. And you figure out a way and you find a way to, to continue to play the game that you love and you have a passion for. And, and, and again, that, that competitive drive to, to win and win at all costs, you know, you do what you can to win, you know, whether that's intimidating your opponent or making the pass to set up a, a teammate on a breakaway or blocking a shot or whatever the case may be. And, and whatever it is on any given night, uh, what it's going to take. Uh, you got to be willing to do that to, to be successful and, and to be considered a winner. Yeah, real quick question. You know, when guys like slide and they they block a shot, a slap shot, how how much does that hurt? I'm, I'm always curious <laughs> about that. It depends on where you get hit, but like seriously, how much does that it, hurt? It depends on, I got to be honest with you, it, it hurts. And it depending upon where you do get hit, you know, like I've broken my foot three or four times. Um, you know, you get hit in the nether regions, that's going to leave a mark. Uh, but you know, I've been hit in the throat. I've been hit in the, you know, the thigh, uh, you know, the back of the leg, it hurts, but you know, it'll, you'll get over it. <laughs> Toughen up. You're a hockey player. <laughs> I used to bug teammates all the time. I'm like, why are you flamingoing? You're actually going to break your foot. Like, oh. and you're getting out of the way. You're going to get hit in the back. You know, guys would skate at the puck and then they, they've got all the equipment is on the front. And then they would turn and get hit in the back of the legs or back. And I'm like, why are you turning? <laughs> you got all your equipment on the front. Yeah, good point. Right. That's why a goalie stands face to the puck. Um, exactly. Let's 
go back and talk about your tracks to success. You grew up in Canada. So I want to go back to Chris Pronger childhood. All right. Were you born to skate? Were you, were you that kid? Like I saw this video one time on, on social media of this kid and he he looked like he was like four years old. Maybe you saw it. It went viral. And this kid was skating through cones so fast. And I'm thinking, okay, this kid's Sidney Crosby, this kid's Patrick (laughs) Kane. I don't know who he is, but this is ridiculous. Was that you as a kid at five or four? Uh, No, actually, it's funny how I got started. I was four years old. My brother's two years older. So I was four years old and my parents asked me, do you want to play hockey? And my brother was going to play and I was like, no, I'm okay. And then literally I'm sitting on the glass two weeks in, and I'm like, okay, I want to play. I don't want to sit here and watch my brother. And they're like, sorry. So I, for that whole year, all I did was was skating lessons and and learn how to skate. So it, in the long run, I believe it helped me because that next year, I wasn't the kid worrying about how to skate and get the puck. I, I had the puck and I could already skate. So I think I was ahead of the curve in that regard because of that. Uh, and then just, you know, I think I... I had a passion for it and, and hockey sense and studied books and, and really just, I I'm a visual learner. So I'd watch hockey and, and on the TV every Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, and just kind of study the game and study the plays and study how uh, players are moving around on the ice and, and where they're going and what they're doing and things like that. And I think at a young age, I kind of understood and got it. I'm going to digress hockey night in Canada. Like that, that's like a holiday, right? Everybody watches that. <laughs> yes. The world in Canada would stop for three hours from seven to 10 in my home. Uh, yeah. Seven to 10 in my hometown. And, you know, obviously different in, in different parts of the country, but uh, uh, seven o'clock hockey night in Canada was on. There was silence, you know, and then commercials would come on and my brother and I would throw a ball in the corner and go murder each other. And then the commercial would be over and up, oh, up, oh, we go sit down and keep watching the, watching the game. And, uh, you know, that was a, a fun way to grow up and a fun way to learn the game. When you were little, did you get like, was a, a present for a birthday or whatever? Was it a, a Maple Leafs sweater? Was it a, uh, Canadians? What, what was it? No, I was, uh, I, I'm from a town called Dryden, Ontario, which is in between Winnipeg and Thunder Bay, mm-hmm. way up North of international falls, Minnesota, which is, Outside of Alaska, the coldest city in the continental U.S. And I'm from two hours north of there. So you could only imagine the winters we had. Mm. So it was, uh, you know, a lot of fun. We grew up playing, you know, we'd come home from school and play road hockey, go up to the outdoor rink and skate there, you know, go to hockey practice. I mean, it was like every day we were figuring out how we were going to play hockey in the fall, fall, winter, and spring. So it was uh, a lot of fun and simple living, that's for sure parents they supported you obviously um were you a kid in the neighborhood that your parents would have said okay he's got that talent were you the neighborhood bully i know you're i know you're a big dude uh what were you like as a kid uh i my nickname was chaos (laughs) i don't know if that sums it up enough for you but uh uh you know i was a little wild to a certain extent but uh you know i think you know from the from about seven up through fifteen, when I left home, you know I was one of, if not the best, the best player in the team, in all the different teams that I played on, and um, you know I think it was, you know you're from a small town, you don't 
play the high end competition that's down in the Toronto area. And, you know, you know, this is pre-internet days, so you don't really know what's going on. We get the hockey digest once a week and then I get hockey night in Canada on Saturdays. And that's really the bulk of, uh, of the hockey that I was getting to read about or, or watch on TV. And then the rest of it was just go outside and have fun. I mean, we spent the bulk of, of the winter playing road hockey or shooting pucks against the garage or, you know, all the things that we used to do as kids and uh, you know, video games were pretty limited back then too. So it was uh, you know, you were making up your own games and having your own fun. Uh, you know, luckily I had a brother and, and probably because he was a little bit older and bigger uh, I had to learn that nasty edge early on to get a, <laughs> try to get a break somewhere. Yeah. You were a pretty solid player. Let's talk about your junior career. You were identified as one of the best, a future star potential. You were going to go to Bowling Green and play. And then others said, no, you should go to, you know, the Ontario Hockey League. And it was a back and forth. And ultimately you switched and you went to the Ontario Hockey League. Was that a crazy situation? Yeah, it was, you know, because of what I just described, not getting a whole lot of information on hockey. And, and if you recall the Hockey Digest back in 1990, there was a one-page little blurb on the Ontario Hockey League. Um, you know, my brother was already at Bowling Green on a hockey scholarship. So I was already trending towards, you know, going to college and, and going that route and uh, was up for, was was rated second overall in the draft that year in the Ontario Hockey League and uh, told everybody that I wasn't going and, and I had no um, intention of going Peterborough Pete selected me in the sixth round and they, you know, I was much less talkative back then. And Dick Todd, the, the GM and coach calls me. He's like, yeah, Chris. Uh, I'm like, yes. He's like, yeah, I just want to let you know, we drafted you uh, today. I said, okay. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Done. Bye-bye <laughs> NCAA golf. And a very few words. Okay. Few words. So I, uh, I, you know, they talked me into coming down to see the, uh, to see the city and kind of, you know, the school and where I might live and my billet family and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, it was, a, you know, it's a neat little town, 50,000 people, you know, t a typical perfect junior town. And uh, they talked me into coming back for training camp. Back then you could go for 48 hours and not ruin your ability to get a college hockey scholarship. And uh, so I went for the first 48 hours and I'm playing against at the time, other guys who are rated in the first round of the draft players that were drafted in the first and second round. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's this talk that, you know, they're going to be good NHL players. And I get down there at camp and I'm like, well, I can play against that guy and I can play against that guy. I'm like, well, he's not that much better than me. And I'm like, well, why am I going to go back to, I had to go, I had another year of junior B before I could go to college. So I'm sitting there going, well, I got another year of that's not going to help me develop. And then they uh, kind of went out of their norm and, and offered to pay for my schooling if it didn't work out. So I was like, well, there's my scholarship right there. So I, I signed uh, I signed on with Peterborough to stay there. Yeah, you had a very good career there. And ultimately, I'm jumping ahead here, drafted number two in the entry draft by the Hartford Whalers in 1993 now you made the all rookie team that year but and maybe this is difficult to talk about but I think it speaks to you know kind of who you are now and the success you probably had later there weren't always perfect times in your okay I think I've hit I, I, think I know where you're going I think I've, I think I've, 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 I've hit way. it okay so 
so off the ice stuff, I mean, there's a bar room brawl. There's a couple of other things that happen. Maybe you can tell some of those stories. Was this a sign of immaturity? Was it tough to be away from home? Were you not ready for the moment? How would you describe what was going on? Tell us some of the things that happened. Yeah, it's funny how some things get blown out of proportion. The alleged barroom brawl we had in Buffalo, uh, I was there with our whole team. <laughs> so I wasn't just on my own. <laughs> and it was uh, after a game, or no, we were there after a game, flew in, we, go, we all go to the bar. The whole team is there. So I was there. And six of us are there and we're talking and we're over in this other section of the bar. And out of the blue, I'm having this conversation with our captain, another guy. And a bouncer just walks over and grabs his beer and tells him to get out. <laughs> We're like, uh, okay. Meanwhile, we have players that are still up at uh, up at the bar ordering drinks. <laughs> so we're like, uh, okay. So I, I, you know, they obviously knew who we were. And uh, so now, as we all know in a bar, when one bouncer or something happens, we just kind of turn and look at him like, okay, well, we'll leave. We were. They all kind of surrounded us and we still have a bunch of teammates we're at the bar drinking. And there was six of us over there and all these bouncers surrounded us. And as they kept coming forward, we kept backing up. They kept coming forward. They kept backing up and we're like, listen, we'll leave. Just let us out. The door's actually on the other side of you. Can, can we get out? <laughs> and they're, they're coming forward. We're like, listen, we're not fighting. Let's, we, we'll leave. And all of a sudden out of the blue behind us, the cops come piling in. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of the bouncers start laying the boots to us because now we're on the ground and the cops are macing us. And, you know, oh, stuff. my. And I'm just like, okay, this is this is uncool. <laughs> like, what, were the Sabres having a bad year? What, what was going uh, on? It, no, it was – no, they were in the playoffs. We were out of the playoffs. We were fighting to try to maybe make the playoffs. And it was so blown out of proportion in the sense of what actually transpired. And, you know, it was just a saga that, you know, we were talked into pleading it out as opposed to fighting it in court because we just wanted it to go away. And in the long run, I wish we would have all just said, forget it. Yeah. We need to, we need to fight this because we didn't do anything. Yeah. There was nothing wrong. Yeah, Other than sense. me being in there underage, uh -huh. nobody did anything wrong. Nobody, no, not one person threw a punch on our side. You know, a bunch of bouncers tried to punch some guys and kick some guys, but um, you know, I woke up in the morning and I was trying to figure out why is my ear so sore? <laughs> well, they, I, when they, when the cops started macing me, I turned my head and he sprayed my ear. <laughs> oh, geez. So there were some other things though, in that time in Hartford, was that a tough time for you or, or were you, you know, super excited to be playing and, and a lot of this stuff is overblown. Yeah. Well, some of it's overblown, but I think some of it maturity is a factor and, and, as far as hockey was concerned, I was ready, but off the ice stuff, just you're, you're somewhat isolated in the sense that, you know, all these guys are going out to bars. They're all going out for, for dinner and doing all this kind of stuff. And there's this 18 year old, 19 year old kid just stuck at home. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. You know, I was obviously the youngest guy in the team. Uh, there was another guy that was 20. Patrick Poulin was 20. Now, maybe 21, uh, you know, and he had to use living with his girlfriend. And, you know, there was a lot of stuff outside factors that 
that were non-hockey related that that didn't i was living with a great family so in that sense it wasn't uh an issue but i think you know all your friends are at college they're all having the time of their lives they're all enjoying and you know i'm just trying to figure out and navigate through being a professional athlete and and eyes now kind of coming on you i was very uh unaware of the notoriety and things like that you know i'd always had eyes on me but just more eyes and and more people staring and and the tisk tisk hey that's so and so you know it was uncomfortable in the beginning of my career mm-hmm. um but uh you know i think just immaturity in the sense that i didn't really know or understand how to live my life away from the ring got it you um you spent a couple of years there and then you were traded to St. Louis, which by the way, they're set to retire your Jersey. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Just trying to drop some news on you. Uh, You spent some really good years there, 95 to 2005. How would you describe that, that 10 year run? Was that the, I know you didn't win the cup there, uh, but was that the best part of your career? Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think so. You know, I think the first three years, you know, I, I came into my own. I started really getting it and understanding it and training properly, eating properly, uh, preparing properly and, and, you know, practice and, and before games, post games. Uh, you know, I, that's where I kind of came in into my own as a young adult into a man. And, uh, you know, obviously got married, had kids. Uh, and then when I left, you know, I think a lot of people thought that my days of being the elite player were going to be over when the rules changed and there's no hooking and holding and, and all the rest of that. And I would argue that I actually got better because I was fresher and didn't have a 250 pounder draped all over me that I'm lugging around the ice. Mm. I'm actually freed up to kind of move around a little bit and, 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 and make all the passes and transition plays and things of that nature. And then you know, play with a little bit of a nasty streak still and and kind of clear the front of the net, do the little things that that I enjoyed to do. Hey, everybody. I really want to tell you about Ahead, one of our new partners this season and now the official headwear provider of Tracks to Success. Creativity, a sharp look, dozens of styles to choose from. Ahead's been supplying the most prestigious events and outfitting the world's top golfers for 25 years, and it's perfect for you as well. So if you're looking to dress for success, make sure you think ahead. Here's your chance to save big. Visit aheadusashop.com now and use the code TTSPOD. That's TTSPOD and receive 20% off your purchase. Ahead, the finest in headwear, the official headwear of the Tracks to Success podcast and available at aheadusashop.com. There was a lockout and it changed a lot in the NHL. And after that lockout, the Blues then send you to Edmonton. You sign this big contract, 30 plus million dollars. Um, in 06, you lead the Oilers to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then you request a trade. Why? Uh, you know what? I think for me, there was a lot of things that happened that um, shouldn't have happened in the sense that I knew I was I had been in talks with my agent. I knew they were trading me. I knew I was going somewhere. And there was a bunch of teams that were interested in Banny to route. 
And at no point was Edmonton ever offered up as a possible destination. So I, I was a little taken off guard when that was the team, when I got to call mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was at a friend's 30th birthday party and um, you know, it's later at night and I get this call. I'm like, well, we got to leave. And I'm with my wife and we go to, <laughs> we go to the bookstore and, you know, while I'm from Canada, I didn't know a ton about Edmonton, you know, obviously knew the Oilers and knew, uh, had played in Edmonton, but not much about the city itself. And, you know, go to, go to get a book on Edmonton for my wife to read uh, from the bookstore. And we go in there and like, uh, why would you want that book? <laughs> we don't have that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, you're not helping. And, it, you know, it was presented to me that, you know, here's this contract. We don't want you to sign your qualifying offer. We don't want to pay somebody that much right now. Da, 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 da. And, and I should have, I was going to be a free agent, a, an unrestricted free agent the following year. I should have just tendered my, my, op, my, qualifying offer and signed it but uh you know and it, you know it was like one in the morning my wife is sleeping you know i didn't talk to her i didn't you know i just kind of said okay we'll do it do what you think's right pat my agent mm -hmm. and i should have been more invested in the process and understood the ramifications of what i was doing but i didn't <laughs> and uh you know i think in the end you know that they understood that in edmonton and, and kevin Lowe was great gracious about it and understood that it wasn't working out. I wanted to go back to the States and, um, you know, I didn't do what some players do when they request a trade and that's play like garbage. Mm. I honored my contract and played to the best of my abilities and, and left it all out in the ice. And, and in the end we came up one win short, but, um, you know, I think in, in the long run, I think them knowing that I played, uh, with my heart and soul that year in Edmonton, that, uh, you know, they were going to do me a favor and, 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 and fulfill my request to be traded. Is that in your mind, maybe uh, a light goes off where you understand how big of a business professional sports is. I mean, you know, forever you're, you're a great player, you're having success, et cetera, et cetera, but there's so much more to it than that. And then you get shipped off. I don't think, you know, look, a lot of people change jobs, okay, or, or they get laid off or, or they get furloughed or whatever. Um, you guys as professional athletes, a lot of times are in control and then suddenly you're not in control anymore. Was that difficult at that time? You know what? I think you learn, you learn the business. <laughs> For instance, when I got traded from Hartford to St. Louis, I was in the GM's office two months before I got traded to St. Louis. You're our franchise player. We're building around you. We're never <laughs> trading you. <laughs> Listen, you know, the, the one thing that I always had a problem with, whether it was me or anybody else that ever requested a trade, why is it that you're now public enemy number one, but when, but when the team wants to trade you, it's, ah, it's okay. They're getting a better player. Well, I, I, I understand the logic and the dynamic, but why is it okay on one hand, but it's absolutely villainous on the other hand to, to request a trade. And how, why is it if a player is not playing good, all oh, we got to get rid of this guy. But if he's playing really good, wow, you, we would never trade him now. I, I get the psyche and the dynamic, but you have to look at it from the player's perspective too and say, okay, if, if that is how we're going to do things, then if I play over and above my contract, then you should be, be able to redo my contract. Yeah. Just like you're able to trade me. So there's a lot of different dynamics 
that at the time when I was public enemy number one in Edmonton, I was just like, well, I get the, the kickback and the vitriol, but you don't need to, uh, to, to do some of the things that, uh, that you're doing, not only to my character, but my wife and our family and, and all the rest of that stuff that happened and transpired then. It, uh, it was a little uh, over, over, the, over the top. Emotional stuff. And you're shipped off then to, uh, to Anaheim. Back to the finals in 2007, <laughs> and this time you win the Stanley Cup. Is that the biggest achievement in your career, maybe even more so than, than gold medals at the Olympics, or is there something I'm missing? No, no, it is for sure. I think when, when you spend nine months with the same group of guys and, and you have one goal and, and one mindset that, all right, this is – when I got there, we had when I was in Edmonton, we had beat Anaheim in the conference finals to go to the Stanley Cup finals. So when I got there, I knew we had a good team, and it was, all right, this is our year. We need to win. We are all in on winning. This is our year. It's Stanley Cup or bust. It was every player in the locker room outside of Scott Niedermeyer had not won a Stanley Cup. So we were all hungry and, uh, and knew uh, that, that the type of team we had and, and what we were capable of. It was just a matter of going out and, and proving it each and every night and, 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 and really uh, being the best we possibly could and having that belief that we could do that. Yeah. Traded again. This time to Philadelphia. <laughs> For gosh sakes, Chris. I mean, my gosh. Another Stanley Cup appearance in 2010 against Chicago. That was kind of the wind down of your career. Not to say you weren't playing good hockey, but injuries and the like. How tough was that mentally, not just physically, for you to deal with? You'd had this amazing career, paced yourself well, big money contracts, and suddenly – Here's a guy wearing a C on his chest, and it, and, it, and it starts changing. Yeah, you know what? I hurt my knee in the first game of uh, the series against Boston, which was, which was the second round of the playoffs that year. And I played the rest of the playoffs with a pretty pretty bad knee. And I, I spent part of the summer trying to figure out, do I get it fixed? Is it going to go away? What did I really do? Did I sprain it? And, you know, wasted probably, uh, you know, three weeks to four, three to four weeks trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And ultimately, you know, got, got knee surgery. They pulled out two chunks that were about the size of M&Ms that were kind of lodged underneath my kneecap. Mm. And so it was, <laughs> it was not insignificant. And I missed training camp. I missed the first couple games of the season. Uh, started play, you know, started to get back in the swing thing, started playing, break my hand, but it broke it. And, you know, there was a puck coming towards me and I kind of went like this and it hit me on an angle and it peeled back the bone mm. so that when I would go in for an x-ray, it would, it would get flat again and you couldn't see the break. So I played another three weeks with a broken hand and it was my top hand. So it was the hand that I did everything with. And oh, it hurt because I had to cross check guys with it and punch guys with it. And I mean, it hurt. Um, Wait, punch, and then punch guys? I, Did you say punch well, guys? Well, you know, just kind of push them. I pushed them with my hand. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so just clarifying. I, I, I'm going through, so I get surgery. Then two weeks later, I'm kind of checking the strength, re break my hand. And now, you know, we're going along. Now we're getting close to the playoffs. It's like, 
I don't know if I can, I can't play right now. My hand's fractured, you know, like I can't hold my stick. So now I get it. I get it re I get surgery again. And now my hand is, there's something wrong with it. And I'm, I got a cast on it and I'm now skating, trying to figure out if I can play, play the last, I play games. We're, we're down three, two against Buffalo. I play game, uh, game six in Buffalo, just kind of play the power play, just kind of be on the bench, cheerleader. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, play in game seven, play, play a lot, play like 20 some minutes. But in that game seven against Buffalo now, I feel something tweak in my back. I just feel some something pop. And we, we win game seven against Buffalo. We're going to play Boston now again in the second round. And I wake up the next morning and, and I feel this burning sensation in my glute. And with each successive day, it goes from my glute to my hamstring to my calf to the day of the first game, I can't feel my leg. Like I have no strength in my leg. I can't move my foot. The game's an afternoon game. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, even worse. So now I call the trainer. It's like 9 in the morning. I'm like, hey, I, I need to go see the doctor. I can't feel my leg. And we've been tracking this, you know, all the way through practice. I couldn't practice the last day. And uh, and then I go get a, an MRI, and I've got a, I got a disc out. They shoot me up. I go to the rink. I play like 20 minutes. I can't even move my leg. I'm brutal. I can't stand up. You know, I got no strength. And sure enough, the next day I'm like, it's, I'm now it's even worse. And I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. Oh. I got to get surgery. And and then I came back that following year, and then I get hit in the eye, and it's over. I um, I don't even know where to go with all that. What what I think we <laughs> learn, you know, first off, um, there's 80 plus games in a season how a hockey player of your caliber paces themselves. There's just no way you can go full speed every single game, 82 game. I don't know. I don't know that it's possible. Right. I mean, the playoffs are a second season and they're long. How do how yeah. do you do that? Chris, how, how do you make it 82 games or a hundred games uh, in the playoffs? How do you do that? You know what it's, and that's what, that's what the summer's for. That's why you train. That's why you prepare a certain way. That's why you, you, you know, I had a specific regimen, uh, eating, training during the season, uh, obviously off-season training in, in preparation for A, playing the minutes that I played, B, playing the style that I played, and then C, incorporating all that into my in-season workouts where even on off days, you know, I, I might not skate, but I'm lifting to make sure that I'm keeping my strength and, and eating you, uh, you know, Michael Phelps, I don't know. He was eating like 20,000 calories or whatever it was when he was swimming all those times. I, we would play on the road. We would get on the plane and I would eat three meals. You know, they'd have the meals and some guys wouldn't eat a meal on one flight on one flight. And we might only be, you know, you remember I'm in Philly Ah, flights an hour. I would get on the plane. They would give me a meal before I, before we left, we would take off. I would get another meal and then as we were cruising, I would get another meal right before we started to make our descent to land. Oh my God. And it was just something in order for me to, you know, maintain my strength and keep my weight on and, and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, you know, trial and error, you have to really figure out what works and, and how you're going to fuel and feed your body to make sure that, uh, that you're strong enough and you have that, 
energy uh, boost because uh, you're playing either the next night or the night after that. Season two of Tracks to Success is brought to you by Presentation Partners. Presentation Partners is a unique team of award-winning executives helping you build a presentation others will be talking about. Presentation Partners teaches you the true art of storytelling. And if you haven't heard about their neuroscience of persuasion, you'll see how valuable it is to own it. Whether you're a company or an entrepreneur, Presentation Partners is the team you need behind you. For almost 15 years, they've helped clients raise millions in capital and countless dollars in sales simply by making top leaders successful presenters. The time is now to find your authentic voice and learn your authentic story. Presentation Partners, creating persuasive story presentations based on something other than just your good looks. A couple of things stand out for me when we're talking about your career, Chris. Uh, obviously, winning the MVP in 2000, you were a defenseman. That just doesn't happen every day. No team that ever traded you made the playoffs the next year. <laughs> I, I kind of you think they would have caught on to that? Yeah, privately, are you kind of <laughs> proud of that? Oh, 100%. <laughs> Maybe it was that little voodoo doll I had. <laughs> Yeah, I figured as much. What stands out about your career for you? Is it the leadership? Is it wearing the sea? Um, what What is it that you remember most and that you're the most proud of in that way? I think outside of, uh, you know, the first two years in Hartford, every team I played on made the playoffs. You know, and, uh, you know, and then as you said, the teams once I left did not. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, you know, I, I wear it as a badge of honor to, to, to be a leader and, and to uh, push my teammates. I hold myself here and I hold my teammates, you know, they might not be to my level, but I'm, I'm going to push them to be the best they possibly can be because in the, at the end of the day, I'm the one that's held accountable for, you know, for their actions as the leader and as, you know, sometimes the captain or assistant captain uh, of a team. Uh, the media and the fans and the outside world, you know, apply the piano on your back, so to speak, that the pressure falls on your shoulders to a help the team win the game, B get your teammates ready and make sure that they're ready to play, et cetera. And whether that's fair or unfair, that's just the way it is. So if I'm taking the brunt of the media and the brunt of the fan, uh, good or bad, I'm holding you accountable because I'm going to, I'm going to be the one taking the brunt of it, uh, win or lose. So, um, you know, much like, you know, watching the last dance and, and Michael Jordan. I mean, there's so many similarities between, uh, you know, outside of the fact that uh, he is who he is and I'm who I am, <laughs> um, you know, pushing your teammates. And I mean, I, I had to, as I got older, I kind of backed off how I practiced. But when I was here in St. Louis, I practiced hard. I mean, I would tomahawk guys going wide. I would, uh, you know, cross check guys in front of the net. I'd run guys in the corner. It was just, I needed to, A, get myself ready for that game, but B, to, to show them this is what I do on a day-to-day -day basis to prepare, and you need to do the same thing. You need whatever your role is on the team, you need to do that to the best of your abilities, and you need to be ready to, to come, come to play when that puck drops and, and be ready to leave it all on the ice because – um, you know, it's such a fine line and it's only gotten finer as, as the game has continued to grow and get faster. 
that there's such a fine line to winning hockey games and and being a winner that uh you need people to be able to to push yeah and, so and push yourself i was always my own worst critic so leadership is everything in hockey when it really boils right down to it i mean a captain is the guy that's got to answer for everybody in that locker room and if you don't have that you got nothing is that fair to a certain extent yeah i mean when you look at some teams and you're like well that team's not as good they play better as a team. Why do they play better as a team? How are they brought together? Who's holding who accountable? And you create this culture and this tradition inside the locker room. And there's a reason why some teams always have success. And it's the group of guys in the locker room and the coach and the manager and the owner and, and the culture that they create and the traditions that they uphold uh, and how they want to be looked upon to the outside world. Um, that is, that is vitally important. And, and when new people come into that dynamic, they get it right away. They're like, wow, this is a, a tight group. This is, uh, you come into the locker room and you're like, man, there's no screwing around here. We're here to work. We're going to have fun. We're going to have a lot of fun, but we're going to work and we're going to have our work boots on and, and uh, do what it's going to, what's going to be necessary to be successful. Ever see yourself coaching? No. <laughs> who's, who, who's the best coach you ever played for? Uh, I am far too impatient to coach, uh, especially in this world we now live in. Um, you know, I think, I think I could do it. I, I don't think what little hair I have left, I think would be gone um, very quickly. Uh, I, I've played for a number of great coaches. Uh, obviously, Joel Quenville uh, got a start here in St. Louis when I was here. Uh, I enjoyed... Uh, I had Paul Holmgren as my first head coach in, uh, in uh, Hartford. Um, loved him. Um, Craig McTavish in Edmonton, who was a former teammate here in St. Louis. Uh, he was, I loved playing for Mac T. Uh, enjoyed uh, the way we played in Anaheim with Randy Carlisle. Uh, liked the way we played with Peter Laviolette in, uh, in Philly when I was there. Keenan, um, you know, I've always, yeah, I like, I, I like Mike, you know what? We got off to a, a rough start <laughs> in the fact that I was whipping boy, mm. but uh, you know, I think in the long run had, you know, everything as we all know happens for a reason in life. And had I not been forced to go through that adversity and to really look inward and deeper at who I was, what I was doing, how I was acting, how I was training, how I was preparing you know, Mike is not an X's and O's guy. Mike is a motivator. And, um, you know, when you look at his track record from his, his days in at the university of Toronto, all the way through Philly on to the Rangers, uh, Chicago, you know, he finds somebody that he beats down and then rebuilds. And, and, and that's somewhat what he did with me. And, and I knew that going in. So I certainly expected some abuse, maybe not ultimately what I got, but, uh, you know, I had, you know, towards the latter part of, of my first year and, and then on into my second year, I had a great relationship with Mike. And, uh, you know, I would certainly credit him. And I did my Hall of Fame speech that uh, uh, he helped me kind of turn into the player that I became once he got fired. And, and you know, I continued to develop as a player. Uh, he was certainly a big part of, of the reason why. You've technically retired from the game, at least as an active player. You've got a wife. You've got kids. And now you've got this new venture. 
Well-Inspired Travels. What is it? How did it even come to be? Oh, man. Mr. Entrepreneur. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we got a little. Uh, all right. Uh, you know what? It was my wife's baby. Um, we certainly travel a lot as a couple, as a family. Uh, we, we really understand and get the role that, that travel has on our health and wellness and our well-being, our, you know, the mind, body, spirit, and, and how travel can affect that. Um, her father was, when she was six, had uh, stage four colon cancer and, and had it, was given a 10% chance to live. Uh, he got that diagnosis and told his, his wife, my mother-in-law, that they, he wanted to take the kids traveling and, during the summers and, and see the world with them. Uh, the first year they were in Europe, she got to see him full of life and, and vibrant and, and uh, interested in exploring the world. He'd come home and just get pounded with chemo and radiation and all the different uh, various forms of treatments that, that we had back then for, for cancer. And uh, that next year he curated a trip to Asia uh, because he wanted to learn more about Eastern medicine and holistic healing and all the different methods that they had. And, you know, I think that really stuck, stuck home with, with my wife and, and, you know, lo and behold, four years later, medical miracle, he's, he's cured, he's in remission, he's, he's cancer free. And that really stuck with my wife, seeing him happy on those trips and, mm. and the vibrancy and, and joy of travel. And then, you know, learning about new cultures, new medicines, new uh, healing therapies, and, and that whole health and wellness side that, as we know, has has really grown over the last 15, 20 years. And so taking all that into account and then us traveling, uh, fast forward to when I get hurt in Philly, I get eye injury and bad concussion. Her mom has uh, breast cancer, and then her dad has uh, a debilitating stroke that has paralyzed him on the right side. So the, the triple whammy happens. Everything, as we know, happens in threes. And she's, you know, blindsided by all this. And, and three kids at home, you know, three of her, her loved ones are, are dealing with some serious, serious health issues. Uh, you know, she starts reading up on all kinds of different things that, will help us and and even her she you know reading up on transcendental meditation and and all the different holistic healing methods that that might whether it helped me help her dad help her mother um and, and really starts reading a lot of books and was already interested in health and wellness and and had a number of different uh you know degrees from different institutes in, in the health and wellness space and and that kind of clicked in her head and and we had this she had this little private social media account that we had a bunch of athletes and celebrities and 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 the like kind of following us and always asking her oh where'd you guys go how'd you how'd you pick that place because i would always become unglued when i couldn't train and couldn't work out and couldn't prepare it even while on a holiday i was still getting up making sure i got my workouts in and making sure i was eating properly and, and able to maintain uh my way of living and my way of training while on vacation uh and back then you know 15 20 years ago <laughs> most hotels and resorts uh, the the fitness center was an afterthought and kind of piecemealed together later uh, later on and um, you know as we've seen over the last 10 years as as more and more uh, new locations have been built uh, the fitness center and the spa are really sometimes the focal point of of the whole facility so uh, you know we she would always get asked what, what what where we went what we were doing 
and that kind of clicked in her head and and our kids were very young at the time and we had a lot, obviously a lot of health issues in the family so you know it was just kind of churning in the back of her head and then the last few years as our kids got older unfortunately her father passed away and then her mother is now cancer free it's kind of freed her up to really build out the business mm-hmm. and kind of think through and and figure out who we're going to partner with and and what the next steps were and uh and then i became interested and and i've always had a passion for travel uh passion or you know always was the guy planning our fishing trips and our golf trips and and different events like that and making sure you know there's nothing better than putting together a trip and seeing the joy and satisfaction of of those that are able to participate and and take take advantage of of those trips and um you know so i have a passion for travel as well and and really saw a need uh, in our space where, where we, what we know best, and that's the elite athletes and, and, uh, you know, kind of CEOs and owners of businesses and understand the demands in their time, the, um, the pressures of their job, you know, the, the demands in their family, because they're coming there a lot of times, uh, you know, the second in line because the, the athlete is, is training, preparing, playing and, and giving his all in his day-to-day job. And, and the family unit comes second sometimes. And, and how do you uh, bring that together and, and allow, uh, you know, the, the spouses to reconnect or uh, the family to come together and go on an amazing trip and, and, and really, for us, dig deep and our staff really dig deep and ask questions of where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to learn? You know, what's your bucket list? What, what do you not like? What do you like? What do you like when you travel? And really dig deep into what they're, what they want to get out of it and, and what they um, really want to come home and what's the take home value really. And, you know, the, the experiences <coughs> that we curate and create for them, you know, we, we like to call it experiential travel. You know, it can be as cookie cutter as you want to go to LA for a couple of days and it can be, I want to go to the middle East or I want to go to Europe or I want to go to Asia and it's it's curating and, and and managing where to go, what to do, uh, and and we're you know turnkey luxury five star resorts and uh, yachts, villas, private jets, all the rest of that stuff. But but really for us, I mean, it's our intimate knowledge of the mindset of an elite athlete, uh, how you're driven, what makes you tick, uh, why why you might need something versus uh, you know somebody else. Uh, further down the food chain it's yeah. uh you know it, when you're in that position and in that uh mindset you you think differently you mm-hmm. think uh you know you're more in tune with what's going on and, and you're you're able to really kind of cut through all the bs and, and and really cut to the chase and figure out what you need to do on any specific level whether it's sports business whatever it is to to be successful and you figure out a way and and, uh, you know, that we're here to provide the other side of it, the human element. Yeah. Um, you know, like a, in, it's in like a boutique service. I mean, you're, you're, it is, you're, it is very boutique, but it's, but it's, here's it's, a the niche, thi- it's a niche business. I'm sure a lot of athletes and the people that you were just describing really struggle when they're done trying to figure out their next. And I don't know if you were struggling or if you felt like you always knew you were going to do something else, but suddenly now you're running this business day to day and you're also responsible for other people's enjoyment, pleasure, et cetera, and you need to deliver. 
um, management skills, etc. Did you really ever train for that? Is this all new? You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I do. Yeah, I manage a locker room, and I manage you know a household, and I manage you know a lot of things that we do. And you read a lot of books, and you you talk to a lot of people, and you have mentors uh, in life, and and I've certainly had some some great ones, and. You know, I think for us in in this boutique niche business, uh, there are so many things that I look at when I play and and see, you know, we are uber discreet and private. When I played, I didn't want anybody knowing where I was going, what I was doing, uh, you know, how I was training. I, I, I just, I wanted to try to get a leg up. I wanted to make sure that nobody was getting ahead of me. And, you know, we are, uh, if not anything, uh, that, and, and that's core value for us. Number one, uh, and then obviously communication and, and talking things through and understanding, uh, where, uh, your interests lie and what you really want to do and what you're passionate about and what you want to learn and take home. Uh, we want to create trips and experiences where you come home from a trip with your family. Uh, these are, these are expensive trips. You're spending a lot of money. You don't want to just come home and sit at the table and go, yeah, that was a good trip. And then you're done. You want to come home and go, oh, man, sit down with your kids and you're having dinner and get the dinner table. And you're like, oh, man, you remember when we did this? Wasn't that funny when this happened? You, it just, and then oh, two weeks later, you're still talking about it. You're able to fall back on it two years later and talk to your kids about the next adventure you're going to take. And where you want to go and, and what unique thing can we do next? And, uh, you know, I don't think as I've looked through all the different travel businesses that are out there, uh, the, there's nobody out there that has my resume and has my background that is doing this and, and certainly not my wife either. And, and, you know, that plays into the second part and the mentorship side where because we're asking these questions and getting to know our clients so well, uh, we're able to, to form that bond and that friendship where they're going to feel more comfortable asking, you know, the, somebody's wife that maybe they're injured, maybe they're having marital problems or kid problems. And they're able to ask, you know, I know, you know, I, we're not perfect. We've mm -hmm. gone through our struggles. We've gone through, we've got our own problems. It's, you know, it's not, uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every day has been perfect my whole life. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of things that we've had to learn from and, and go through to come out on the other side and, and be where we're at now. So, um, you know, we're, we want to be there for that, that next generation and those athletes that are out there and former athletes and, and business leaders that, that might need a little help figuring out how to decompress, how to de-stress, how to, how to reconnect with your family, how to do all these different things. And, and if you haven't been in that situation, how do you know where to start and how to what questions to ask and, and where to really probe and, and uh, find out that touch point that that's really going to get them to open up to figure out this is exactly what you need. In addition to hosting this podcast, Craig leads the Can Advisory Group, focused on elevating communication for companies and individuals. Company consulting, empowering team and individual workshops, mind-altering webinars, and Craig's inspiring keynotes for your conference or company meeting. They're all on the menu of services. Can Advisory helps companies clarify their message, helps professionals build and showcase their brand, and helps everyone present their best selves. 
So if you're the leader of a team or company looking to give your employees a game-changing one-day experience or an individual who wants to become a speaker and presenter that gets other people talking, visit canadvisory.com. And when you do connect, make sure to mention the Tracks to Success podcast to receive a special discount on any of the Can Advisory services. That's canadvisory.com. Now back to the interview. We're talking with Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger. Chris, in hockey, you play defense, but when you're running a business, you can't really play defense all the time. You got to you got to go on the offensive. You got to push, <laughs> and you got to you know take risks and take chances, and and you'll fail a few times. What have you learned about yourself in this process? Uh, I would say as I've gone along, I think talking about the early part of my career, I was, I'm, I was, I was, and, and still am to a certain degree, very much an introvert. Um, as much as people might see this gregarious guy out in public, I've learned to put the uh, public face on, but, uh, I've, I've learned to be a little bit more outgoing and, and, you know, I was always quiet, you know, when you have eyes on you all the time and people talking, trying to talk to you, you kind of, I used to kind of skulk into the corner and kind of just you know, kind of watch and kind of keep my back to the wall so that I knew, I knew nobody was going to come up behind me. But, uh, you know, I think being more outgoing and, and you're, you know, you're selling a business, you're selling yourself to a certain extent in this business mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, learning how to describe yourself and, and what you're passionate about and, and what your, your goals and dreams are, and then finding out what theirs are and, and, and talking it over and, and figuring out, what exactly they want out of life, what they want out of travel. Um, you know, I think once, once we start going down that path, a lot of people, you know, when you get into that mentorship side and, and, you know, friendship side, you're, you're really trying to figure out what makes them tick and then delivering on, on that, whatever that point is and whatever that, uh, you know, value or, um, little little idea that that kind of light bulb goes off and you're like oh this would be perfect and maybe you should try this and maybe do this with your wife uh you know maybe surprise her once in a while <laughs> yeah <really. laughs> don't let her plan everything that's right maybe that's surprise right her with a trip <laughs> do you need to prove anything to yourself with this venture i mean is there is there something that you feel you know i haven't done this yet no, I would say uh, when when you ask the question about uh, managing, etc., you know, I've always wanted to own my own business. Uh, I've always wanted to run my own business. I've always wanted to uh, be my own maker and and really, um, you know, basically do it all, if you will. And you know, obviously, I got a great partner in my wife. Uh, we've got great people working underneath us. We've got great uh, part affiliates and partners uh, behind that and. Um, you know, we've certainly uh, uh, put a, a top-notch first-class staff together, and 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 really, it's just about executing now for us and 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 putting the right pieces into place for for our clients and and their families. And um, you know, I have no uh, no qualms now getting on the phone talking to people, telling them our story. It's uh, you know, it, we're we're very real, we're very natural. Uh, you know, there's no BS, there's no, um, you know, this is all things that have happened in our life and, and things that we've gone through that, uh, that have helped 
kind of steer us in this direction and, and kind of have us come uh, uh, around the, around the circle again. And uh, you know, life 2.0. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a lot of fun getting to this point and, and really it's just the beginning. A couple of things before I let you go. This podcast is called tracks to success. And I try to present people and their inspiring stories with a great thought of helping other people to perhaps achieve the same thing in whatever they do. You were inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2015. A two-part question for you. They sound very similar, but they're different. Number one, what do you want people to remember you for? Uh, well, and I tell, you know, and, and this is also when you asked the question earlier about when I was younger and, you know, etc. A lot of times as a young athlete, you're, Oh, well, that's the hockey player. Oh, he's a football player. Well, no, I play, I play hockey, but I'm not, a, I am a hockey player currently, but that doesn't mean that I'm always going to be a hockey player. And I think for the, the longest time early on, I struggled with being steered in just that direction. Oh, he's just a hockey player or he's just this, he's just that there's, there's more uh, pieces to the onion. And, and it's peeling it back and, you know, whether it's coming out of your shell and, and talking more and being more engaging or, uh, you know, learning about a new business, learning about, uh, you know, something different in life and, and trying it. Um, I've become much more open to trying new foods and learning about new cultures and things like that. When you're immersed in your sport or, or your business, whatever the case may be, you get tunnel vision to a certain extent. And, and I think travel can help take the blinders off a little bit as well. Uh, it's a great way to, to really open things up. So I would want people when they talk about me, they're like, he, he's a hard worker. That guy works his ass off and they might say, well, well, he was talented. Yeah, but you can have all the talent in the world. If you don't work, you're only going to get so far. And it's a matter of, you know, waking up every morning and all right, let's, let's get to work, you yeah. know, and it sets the example for your kids. And they see you working and how hard you work and what you're trying to build and grow, et cetera. And, um, you know, you're trying to set that example, uh, you know, hopefully for that next generation of, of Congress out there. I can totally relate. 17 and a half years at Golf Channel, one of the day one original six. There's a hockey analogy for you. Um, <laughs> and uh, everybody would say, hey, it's the Golf Channel guy. And I, I loved it. I was flattered. I was honored. But at the same time, I, I wondered what else, you know, what else can I do? What else can I give? And so when you talk about that, trying other things, or putting yourself in new situations that can stretch you, uh, I think it's really important. The second part of that question is, what do you want people to remember you as? What type of person as? Um, you know, I think, a lot of people now are, they saw, they would see my persona on the ice and they're like, oh, that guy's an asshole. Mm. <laughs> he's, he's so mean. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you talk to people, you're like, okay, that, that's how I played. That's, that's just how I played the game. And then when you meet him on the street and they actually talk to you without being rude, they actually talk to you. They're like, oh, you're a lot nicer than I thought you were. <laughs> And it's, you know, I think in life, as we know, it's about opening up your eyes and not 
expecting certain things, but finding out for yourself and figuring out who somebody is. If somebody says, oh, so-and-so is a, a jerk. Are you going to go into that uh, conversation thinking this guy's going to be a jerk? Or are you going to say, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to figure out if he's a jerk. And too often, I think we listen to outside voices and, and distractions, if you will, instead of making up our own minds and, and worrying about what we think. We worry about what somebody else is thinking. And, you know, I think if there was one thing that I always batted away was, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I don't know you anyways. <laughs> if I know you and you don't like me, I'm sorry. But, you know, 99 out of 100, you know, when I meet you and we talk and we become friendly, we're going to become friends because I'm not necessarily that persona. That's just what you see when I was entertaining and playing a sport. Uh, and, and now it's just, you know, just trying to be me and help people along the way uh, with our business. I wish you the absolute best with that business. And I have no doubt based on a guy who wore the captain C on his uh, sweater for all those years that you're going to be a great leader and you're going to lead that thing to exactly where you want it to go with your wife. Uh, this has been a real pleasure an honor to have you on this thing with me. And uh, I feel like I got a, a good friend and I've got a new travel agent. So uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> it's, all, it's all good. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you so much for being on this. Thanks, Craig. My pleasure. In our conversation, Chris talked about the importance of a healthy lifestyle and treating your mind and body right with leisure and vacation time, which leads me to my one last thing. If you wanna be an influencer, treat your physical self as well or better than the effort you put in mentally to achieve your goals. I'm not the most fit person in America, but I do know that when I am active and in the gym putting effort into making me feel better, I have a lot more energy to perform better. Example, when I'm on the road speaking to groups, I make sure that to the best of my ability, I travel with enough time left in the day to get in a workout once I get to the hotel. And if at all possible, I'm up early enough before my talk to break a sweat and get my blood pumping. A better physical you is a better performing you. Chris talked about that. No matter what you do or where you work, and Chris would tell you that a vacation now and then is more than just a bonus, it's a necessity. Fit all that into your schedule, and I really believe your tracks to success come a whole lot easier. One thing before we go, please take a moment to give this podcast a review and a rating and share it with those you think might benefit from listening. And if you have a guest you think belongs on this show, email me, info at canadvisory.com. Until next time, I'm Craig Can. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners, visual storytellers passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. Don't forget to subscribe to the show for more great interviews and thoughts on reaching your highest personal and professional summit. You can follow Craig on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Craig Can. And for exclusive Tracks to Success content and news about our upcoming guests, you can find Tracks to Success on Twitter it's at Tracks to Success.